have it from the Golan Heights, so we can You can see how this comes to actually put one on top of the other. Those windows you see, they're known as the Korazim windows because the first place we found them was in the, in the town of Korazim, also mentioned in, in the Bible. Um, it's actually been like a, a separation between what probably was the kitchen and the dining room, so you, you would be able to deliver things from one side to another. Also, if there was another layer to it, that would be for storage. You don't want to store stuff on the floor because animals can actually come in. Another thing you can see, a complex like this would be shared probably by two or three families. Uh, you can see there are several entrances from the main kind of street. So it's like a gated community almost. Right? Uh, so it's actually, you can see how it's divided between complexes and each one would be almost like a gated community, mostly for safety. Today gated communities would be uh, aristocracy, but I mean back then it was mostly for safety because the strangers coming to the marketplaces, merchants coming from the outside, they walk around the city, you don't want them to actually get into your private areas. So basically they're, you can see how it's, it's, it's actually been in a way uh, walled around. And there was another story to each one of those. I mean, this is the ground floor and try to, to envision another story to each one of those houses. The ceilings would be made out of logs of uh, wood. And then on top, sometimes just the wood, sometimes on top, you could really lay stones in order to actually create those ceilings hmm. and the rooftops. So uh, this is how the city really looked 2000 years ago. As I said, it goes the whole way about one mile to that direction. The wall you see separating between the Catholic Franciscans plot over here and the Greek Orthodox Capernaum, which is the extension of the same city, but the land is owned by a different denomination of Christians, so therefore the two different sites. Uh, so the Greek Orthodox would be behind, but it's still the same Capernaum of, of the time of Jesus. Now, if you look to that direction, you see this building is completely out of its place, right? Because if this is the town, the town of Jesus, out of scale, out of place, different stone, right? Yes. This is basel, this is limestone brought into the city from, from somewhere else. So this is actually the synagogue of Capernaum from the fifth century, <laughs> okay? And we're entering that synagogue. So we do not really need to use the main central like a big wall, you would use a smaller one. Because uh, let's say during weekends probably the entire community would come to during weekly days people have something to do and to make a living so unless people come why to use the space they can use the smaller one and on top of it what we call Beit Midrash house of study would be in a smaller room attached to the middle now in Hebrew when we speak of a synagogue the Hebrew word for it is Beit Knesset Beit Knesset Beit is a house Knesset means assembly house of gathering so when the temple was still standing in Jerusalem, we've had already a few synagogues, not very, I mean, it was not on, uh, I mean, very common as it is today. Today you have synagogues everywhere because it's, it's a place where people come to worship and to pray. At the time of Jesus, prayers had not really been the main thing for worship. How would you worship God at the time of Jesus, at the time of Christ? Reading from the Torah, that's one way, but that's not what was the worshipping act? Sacrifice. Sacrifices, right? Sacrifice. The temple is still standing in Jerusalem, so 
Actually, the worship of God would be, would be by animal sacrifices in one spot only, which is the temple in Jerusalem. So synagogues at that period of time, which are not very many, have been used mostly for gathering the community, the assembly of the community, celebrate holidays, events, family events, to mourn for dead, and to read from the scrolls. You would do it in, naturally if the temple was destroyed and we stopped the animal sacrifices and prayers replaced that worship, I mean the sacrifices as, as a worshiping, you would look for a place for people to gather in order to do the worship of the prayers together and naturally that became the big place at the house of assembly. So at that period of time, 5th century, that's definitely already a place of worship. In the time of Jesus, the house of assembly, the synagogue, the Beit Knesset, would be a place to read from the schools and actually sort of uh, almost like a gathering place for the community. Um, now, what's so important about the synagogue of Capernaum? So the 5th century one, you know, in archaeology, you have a problem. When you find something on top of something else, what you can say for sure? So the one on top would be? Newer. Newer, right? Yeah. That's the only thing you can you cannot it, it won't it won't actually help you to date or to get any false information. That's one thing. The other thing is if you find something that is important for you, pretty, unique, different, you want to keep it. That means if you keep it, you will never know what's underneath. Because if I want to see what's underneath, I need to give up a layer, to peel off a layer. Now they bumped into this beautiful synagogue, they didn't want to give it up. But still we want to find the synagogue of Capernaum from the time of Christ. So what would you do? Normally, we know that worshiping places throughout different civilizations actually replace themselves in the exact same location. What they did over here, they took the corner of the 5th century synagogue and actually built it off. They wanted to make sure there is something underneath from the time of Christ. Surprisingly or not, you can see the remnants match perfectly what we saw on the other side. Wow. Telling you that we know for 100% this was the synagogue, probably not. We need to peel off that layer to go the whole way in, in order to find that synagogue. But there's a very good chance to say that the synagogue of the 5th century replaced the synagogue of Jesus' time at the exact same location. So we're supposedly sitting on a later layer of the synagogue of the time of Christ. And what happened in this synagogue? Where's Austin? Austin. 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 If you look at verse number 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves go into boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. This is right where we are. They're seeking Christ. But look at what happens. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? If you look earlier in the text, he walked on the water, got into the disciples' boat, verse 26. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. 
Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him, God the Father has set His seal. Now, I know this, we're pastors, but we're not seeking Christ for... Uh, the wrong reasons. We're seeking Christ because of what he's done. He's our mediator. Now, we're not seeking fresh warm bread. <laughs> we're seeking him because he's the bread of heaven. And he's looking at the, the people that are gathered here and he's saying, don't seek me for the wrong reasons, but seek me for who I am. And that's why when we think of Christ being here, all the people came across the sea searching for him. But many of them were searching him for the wrong reasons. So we present Christ. Why do we present him? Well, we present him because he's the answer for our sins. He's our mediator. He's our sacrifice. And he's the one that, that made that sacrifice for us. Then verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. It's more than just a, a physical thing that Christ is referencing here. It's talking about our eternity. And then on it goes down to verse 45. You know, no man comes to the Father unless he draws him. And this is what Christ does. He, he fills us. So praise the Lord for that. What an Amen. opportunity to be standing here where he said those things. Hey, pray, pray for us. Pray for us. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for, for this opportunity to be here in this place. Father, this very place where you spoke these words. And Lord, we, we humbly admit to you this morning that, that we need you. You are our mediator. You are our Savior. And Father, we pray that we'll give the bread of life to those that you've placed under our care, Lord, and our churches back home. God, we pray that, that we'll not present, Lord, a, a health and prosperity gospel, but that, Lord, we will truly show people that you are the answer for their sin. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for this privilege and opportunity to be here. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.